another edition of Fighting for the Faith. This is going to be an interesting program. The uh, Todd Friel from Way of the Master Radio, he heard my interview with Doug Paget and he, he's a little miffed at me. <laughs> he didn't feel like there was any contending for the faith going on in my interview with Doug Paget. We're going to listen to what Todd Friel has to say, and uh, I sent him an email. <laughs> You always have to explain your strategy. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. Uh, today is Thursday, November 6th. Did you pronounce that right? Rosebro, did I pronounce it? Yeah, that's right. Just in case you know, I do know how to pronounce my last name. It's not Rosenberger. Uh, although I've heard all kinds of things. The, the word Rosebro gets mangled in all kinds of ways on a regular basis, especially when I was in high school. Uh, college, you know, any time where you have to wait in line and they have to call your name out, the Chris uh, Rose, uh, and everyone wants to put an N in the name. Every, Chris Rosenberger, bro, it's Rose Bro. Gardenberger. <laughs> yeah, Chris Gardenberger. Yeah. Oh man, uh, remind me to fire you later. <laughs> Anyway, so we got some good listener email today. We're going to be listening to Todd Friel's reaction to uh, my interview with Doug Paget, and it was appropriate that Todd Friel reacted to it because, well, Doug Paget mentions Todd Friel, but I don't think Todd Friel quite got what I was doing in in the interview, and so he wanted me to take Doug Paget and hit him in the nose during the interview, and so. Uh, <clears throat> You know, I, I understand that that's what he wanted me to do. I, what I was really trying to do was engage in an emergent conversation myself. I'd never been to a cohort before. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's not what I did. In fact, <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's just, let's just lead off with it today. Well, let me go over to my Way of the Master radio <clears throat> podcast because, um, in case you don't know, I am an avid listener to Way of the Master radio. And... <laughs> um, Let's see if I can get uh, you know get Doug's piece here. Uh, what he said. Um, it, we'll pick up to the part where he's cleaning his microphone with a uh, with some kind of a sanitizer. Apparently, I don't know. Maybe Todd is like a neat freak. But uh, let's listen to uh, Todd Friel from Way of the Master Radio reacting to my interview with Doug Patchett. It's actually pretty funny. It's a little stinky, and I need to kill the germs. Yeah, he's killing germs on his microphone now. All righty. Now that we're done with that. Hey, if you found that annoying, thanks to TeamPyro.blogspot, a blog worth going to. And we're so glad that they are done with their little hiatus there, that Phil Johnson and the boys are back to business. They posted a conversation, and we can call it a conversation because it involved an emergent, Doug Paget, who appeared on this year's program, Way of the Master Radio. See, that's why. See, right there. I did it again. And you do that often enough. and Todd, that's, you're grossing me out here, dude. <laughs> and you'll be needing germ killer, too. About a year ago, maybe? Something like that. And he was... he was uh, Doug? Uh, was that a year ago? Last spring? Is that it? Yeah. All righty. It only seemed uh, that long. Time, time flies. <laughs> when you're in a conversation. Yikes. And uh, apparently, it is... Uh, uh, he's been reminded of it frequently because somebody put it up on YouTube, and apparently people ask him about it. Well, he is was out pitching his book. I don't even know what it's called. 
It's called uh, A Christianity Worth Believing. And boy, the title itself just makes you go, huh? You know, it's worth believing if Doug came up with it. (laughs) If you read the book, it's the Christianity that he outlines is pretty much the Christianity that he cobbled together through his life experiences. See, the one worth believing is the one you invent. (laughs) Sorry, Todd, had to help you out there. Whatever. Something about what you believe is stupid. (laughs) Believe what I believe, even though I don't know what that is, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Todd, you sound like you're getting exercise there, dude. You're going to hear that. This is so amazing to me. The folks at teampyro.blogspot posted this. And this, if you do not know what the emergent movement is, even though I have to tell you, the emergent movement is going through a serious, there's a shifting going on there. Dan Kimball apparently has decided he doesn't want to be called emergent anymore. Tony Jones, the um, the national coordinator, is out of a gig, so he's not coordinating anymore. Uh, apparently it's a part-time deal because they don't want any leaders. They want it to be more like a more like a, a, a republic where people get to vote to not have a leader, which I guess would actually make them the leaders, wouldn't it? Mm, foiled again. Here it is, the... Yeah, there's more going on there, Todd. Got to tell you, even Andrew Jones, tall, skinny Kiwi, is questioning the term emergent now. And Doug Padgett yesterday on his website announced that he wants to run in 2010 for the Minnesota State Legislature. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> maybe this whole emergent thing is, you know, has run its course. Maybe it's just a fad and it's 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 done. I don't know. I mean, these guys are kind of. You know their their network seems to be f- flattening and fizzling out. Yeah, I know Phyllis Tickle said that this was a 500 year thing and that we were on the verge of the great emergence. And but see, the thing is, is that just a little bit of mental grease, you know, just a little bit of sparks going, you know, firing between the synapses in your brain, and you can take Phyllis Tickle's argument and just utterly decimate it. But I so but she means well. <laughs> you know, I, I gross myself out even saying it. The conversation that Doug Padgett had on a radio program with some guy. I think the show oh, fighting Chris Rosa. Rosa. See, he's doing it too. He's messing my name up, man. <laughs> For real, it's Rose Bro. Rose Bro. Rose Bro. <laughs> that doesn't even sound right. All right, we. Rose Bro. Rose, yeah. Rose Bro. Extreme theology. Fighting for the faith. That's his uh, podcast show, yeah. Yeah. Conservative guy? Yep. <laughs> I'm so glad that his producer, the guy there, he's a Lutheran. And I'm, I'm glad his producer knows that I'm not liberal. Because if, the, the, if you just take the interview kind of out of context and you don't listen to why I did it, you can draw some pretty bad conclusions about me. You know, Chris is in bed with the emergent church. I mean, did you hear that interview he did with Doug Paget? He didn't even fight for the faith. All he did was just let that guy ramble on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this a little bit more. Let's hear what Friel has to say because he's, he's very frustrated with me. Very, very frustrated. Really? Didn't do a lot of fighting in this particular. Lutheran. He didn't? <laughs> well, you be the judge. <laughs> Oh, Todd. <laughs> Todd, you sound a little tightly wound there, dude. Uh, you know, trust me, I did fight for the faith, but it was in subsequent programs, and it was that was by design. But l- let's hear what he has to say. This is really, he did a really good job of 
picking Paget apart, but let's continue. I had one conversation with a guy named Todd Frio where he was trying to ask me about heaven as a place. Can I can I just tell you, um, I Doug, if you're listening, <laughs> thank you for not having a snarky tone when you said my name. I really, honestly, I mean that genuinely. Thank you for not being snippy. I had one conversation with a guy named Todd Frio where he was trying to ask me about heaven as a place. Uh, you know, because Jesus said... In John 14, I go to prepare a tapas, a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. Huh? And I said, Todd, it sounds to me like you're using whole categories that aren't of interest to me. You're using categories of heaven as a place rather than a reality. And I just don't, that, that, that comes from a particular Greek orientation. That um. As best I can understand this, what he just said, I think, is that it's it's not a it's it's apparently it's kind of mystical as I can understand it. Doug, if I'm if I'm being if I'm confusing the issue, sorry, I'm not trying to. I, I'm legitimately trying to restate in human language what you're talking about. Doug, uh, Todd, don't you understand? You're just being a Platonist. <laughs> I'm joking there, Todd. Just joking. I think you get the idea. Todd feels just a little bit frustrated here. He's trying to do a little bit of commentary. And I'm glad that Todd has taken the time to take the interview, take what Doug has said, and do some biblical critique. Because we did the same thing on subsequent programs. So let, let me read to you an email that I sent to Todd. Because um, Todd and I have actually corresponded via email in the past. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um <clears throat> <clears throat> to His Excellency Todd Friel. No, I didn't say that. That's a joke. Todd, just got done listening to your commentary on my interview with Doug Paget. I know that many people are scratching their heads wondering why I wasn't fighting for the faith in my interview with, with Paget. Please understand that that was by design. Now, I know that doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense, because, but because of the unique problems dealing with emergence and the lack of clarity from them about their beliefs, if you can even call them that, my strategy was to interview him and to ask him questions and the logical follow-up questions that arose from what he said and not challenge him during the debate. In fact, you know, no, it wasn't a debate, not 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 challenge him during the interview. Sorry, it wasn't a debate, not challenge him during the interview. Now, I I told this to people at the front end of my interview so that people would understand what I was doing. But apparently, you know, he missed that little part, right? The, The little intro into it. And I said, I purposely bit my tongue and didn't overtly debate with what Paget was saying because I wanted my listeners to hear from Paget's own mouth what this guy thinks and believes. Since nailing emergent guys down is like nailing jello to a wall, I was working with the theory that if I had a higher volume of jello to work with, <laughs> when it comes to jello, volume helps. <laughs> if I had a higher volume of jello to work with, that I would be much more successful at getting some of it to stick to the wall. I understand that it was a bit frustrating to listen to. Imagine how difficult it was for me not to comment. You know, I'm a, I'm a big mouth anyway. It says, I was biting my tongue so hard that I think it was bleeding. <laughs> However, I was able to get my two cents in on two subsequent editions of Fighting for the Faith. Now, during those programs, I circled back and biblically critiqued Paget's views and believed that I was able to successfully nail some of that jello down. Keep up the great work that you do on Way of the Master. 
Sincerely, Chris Roseborough. So, <laughs> I, sorry that I was frustrating you, Todd. And no, I don't think I have a liberal bone in my body. I just don't. What's really funny is is that when my children were growing up, we, um, my wife and I, we got married really young. Mrs. Roseborough and I, we've been married for 20 years. And uh, I'm 40 years old. And children. yeah, we, 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 and we had children like 11 months after we got married, <laughs> there was Josh. So, um, but the, 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 the long and the sort of is because we started so young, we kind of had some humble beginnings and some challenges early in our marriage, as far as financial things were concerned, because neither one of us had finished college by the time we got married. And so we were living at uh, Christ college Irvine. We actually, uh, I was a resident counselor there and, um, you know, when when I was a resident counselor at Christ College Irvine, which is now Concordia University, see, I yeah, like I tell people, they changed the name from Christ College to Concordia University, and I was bitter about that change in the name. I was so bitter that I always refer to my alma mater now as Con U. So anyway, so we were living on campus when my kids were like really small. And um, at, it, somehow it got out that, you know, because, you, know, you know, I don't, we don't talk about – my son would overhear my conversations with my friends from college when we were studying there at the time. And uh, I, I apparently I said a lot of disparaging things about liberals. You know, I know that's really hard to believe. And, and it got to the point where my son, he wasn't afraid of monsters being under his bed. He was actually afraid of liberals under his bed. And one time, you know, he, he came into our bedroom and threw himself onto our bed like, you know, he's being chased by something. He says, Dad, Dad, I'm really scared. I go, what is it, son? He goes, Dad, I think there's liberals under my bed. <laughs> Brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> I got a little tear in my eye at that moment, but so no, I'm not a liberal. No, it this, it was it was all strategy, um, Todd. And the nice thing about it is, is that now I've got a really nice interview on the record, and it's it's Doug Paget himself saying what he thinks and what he believes. It's not me saying I think he believes this, or did you know the emergent guy said this? No, it's it's on the record now. He said all these things, and Todd, you did a fantastic job of uh, critiquing. Uh, what Paget said, because quite frankly, what he said didn't really fit with scripture at all. <laughs> but uh, appreciate the plug, even if it was a backhanded plug. And I hope, Todd, you correct the record on your radio program because I sent you an email. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to get into some listener email today. Oh, man. You know, there's, man, there's a lot going on here. Apparently, the God talking to you thing has kind of a, hit a chord with some of our listeners. Let, let me read this. I got this uh, uh, email from Chad. He says, uh, Chris, I just got done listening to your interview with Jim Mayhew. Jim Mayhew is co-founder of the One Million for Jesus Christ t-shirt company. Maybe he can make Con U shirts. Yeah, maybe he can make Con U shirts. That's a great idea. Yeah, I graduated from Con U. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> You're right in many a way. We don't know if this idea was downloaded by God. Now, here is the but. Now, see, here he goes. See, you should have used the conjunction and, not but. Conjunction, junction, what's that function? The, the function of but is to erase everything before. <laughs> 
All right, he says, uh, you stated that he had a good understanding of the gospel and had a handle on sin and repentance. Now, I agree. If you if you go back and you listen to my interview, and we played it in two different segments on two different uh, programs of Fighting for the Faith, Jim seems like an upstanding guy. He seems like he's sincere. He doesn't. He didn't come off to me as some kind of a, you know, a greedy charlatan or whatever. And he, he sounded like, a, you know, he was still fairly young in his Christian faith and, and didn't have exactly what I would consider to be the firmest uh, grasp of, of biblical doctrine and theology, but he basically knew the gospel and, you know, and he communicated that. And so I wouldn't, he, I definitely wouldn't throw him into the heretic bucket and say, oh, this guy's going to hell or anything like that. You know, my critique really focused in on the fact that he said that he got this directly from God. Okay. And on yesterday's program, by way of a nice comparison, we, uh, we brought in uh, the comparison of the people from Shekinah today who claimed that uh, God told them that uh, McCain and Palin were going to win the election. And, uh, you know, uh, Cindy DeVille, no relation to Cruella, um, you know, just she's a false prophet. Now, if it, plain and simple. In fact, if we were living in Israel and uh, Cindy DeVille... No relation to Cruella. Yeah. If she were to uh, have given that prophecy in ancient Israel, um, then, you know, once it was firmly established that she had given the, the prophecy and the prophecy failed, she actually would have experienced capital punishment for the crime of false prophecy. That's why there was no psychic friends back then. Yeah, that's right. The psychic friends network didn't, uh, didn't operate so freely uh, back then. You know, <laughs> On a little bit of a side note here, I'm bunny trailing myself right now. I got a, <laughs> I got an email from Wolf Mueller who was cracking up from something I said, and he sent me a soundbite of myself, and he thought it was hilarious. Here's the Brian Wolf Mueller from uh, Table Talk Radio and uh, the Words of Hope programs that air here on Pirate Christian Radio. He sent me a soundbite of myself, and he said, this is the funniest thing ever. He says, I'm trying to figure out how I can use this on a soundboard on our show. <clears throat> I'm not trying to rub it in, Brian, but, you know, it, all you got to do is hook your computer up to your soundboard. They have little adapters at Radio Shack. <laughs> but uh, here's the soundbite he sent of me, you know, to me, which is weird. It's weird when people send you soundbites of yourself. Here's the thing he thought was so f- hilarious. You know what I say? Shut up. Serious. Do you want to be struck by lightning? <laughs> he thinks that's hilarious. So, so yeah, I I think that was I forget the exact context, but I think it had something to do with uh, Cin, Cindy Deville. No relation to Corella at all. Yeah, I'm gonna beat that horse into the ground anyway. So you know the, the point that I was basically making is is that people are out there claiming to re- be receiving direct revelation from God. Okay? And I, yesterday, spent a lot of time talking about the dangers of that way of thinking. It's a subjective epistemology, and over and over and over again, I've seen people claiming that they're getting direct info from God, and it doesn't exactly pan out, and it creates problems. It creates crisis of faith for people who, when things don't pan out the way they were because God told them a specific thing was supposed to happen. It even, and I didn't mention this yesterday, it creates a crisis of faith for people who are honest enough to say, you know, God never is talking to me. And they begin to feel like they're somehow second-class citizens within the kingdom of Christ because God isn't giving them direct downloads. 
you know. But anyway, uh, uh, Chad continues, says, You stated that he had a good understanding of the gospel and had a handle on sin and repentance. Uh, uh, number one, First uh, Corinthians twelve three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is a, a Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Number two, God works in ways that you and I would never think of working. Uh, talking donkeys, for example, you know that the the story of Balaam and Balaam's donkey. You know, back in the you, the King James version, there we uh, can I say that word, Balaam's donkey the alternate word would be ass anyway um just wanted to say that on the, on the radio because i feel so sinful when i do it anyway uh, he says if our lord gave him this idea and it fails jim stated that he would still have to believe that it was from the lord okay i'll bite could it be that our lord allowed it to fail say to strengthen someone's faith just a question you might want to talk about well here's the deal okay this is where um law of non-contradiction comes into place. Okay. comes into play. Law of non-contradiction. It, it just really simple. A equals a. Okay. That it just, it's real simple. A equals a, a doesn't equal non a doesn't a equal doesn't, you know, a doesn't equal something else. Okay. The law of non-contradiction is if God said, sell a million t-shirts and I'm going to give you this idea to sell a million t-shirts and you're going to do it and you don't do it, then God didn't say it. Plain and simple. If the million t-shirts was not just some goal to try to shoot for, but was actually an integral part of the so-called download, you know, an integral part of, you know, you're going to accomplish this and do this. This is for me. I want you to sell a million t-shirts and you don't pull it off because God didn't provide for that to happen. Then no, it wasn't from God. Law of non-contradiction comes into play just much the same way. That the folks from Shekinah today, they predicted that McCain and Palin were going to be uh, elected, and they weren't. So that wasn't from God. God doesn't stutter. God doesn't lie. So, you know, the answer to the question is, no, it's not. If If this thing really fails... And part of the download was that he was supposed to and that he would sell a million T-shirts, you know, creating a movement. And he and he falls short of making a movement. And let's say he only sells 50,000 of them. Then, no, that wasn't from God. Okay? It wasn't from God. Now, where could it have come from? It could have. It just could have been an inspiration that he had, for, you know, himself. And he deceived himself into believing that God was the one telling him. That's one option. It could have been that the inspiration was from uh, a less than holy place. Let's just say it was from the devil. Okay, or it, you know, the other thing he just come, you know he just fooled himself. Who knows? The one thing we can rule out is is that it wasn't from God, unless these guys actually hit their million goal. Because that's what it is one million for Jesus Christ, and this is supposed to be from God. It's part of a download. No, then it wasn't from God. All right, it says, the one million for uh, Jesus Christ website got your attention, and you basically gave them free advertising. Yeah, I know I did that. You know, anybody buy a one million for Jesus Christ t-shirt? Somebody will. Yeah, and if you do buy one, uh, let, let me know what the number is on it. <laughs> I didn't ask him, hey, what are you guys up to? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> could that be the spark for his success? Well, it could be. I mean, I don't know what the future brings, and quite frankly, God hasn't told me. Yeah, I know. I looked at my my belly button this morning for email, and I didn't find any. So, 
you know, from God, because that's where he would leave it. No, didn't didn't get a direct revelation. So we don't know. But back to point two and talking donkeys. <laughs> well, here's the deal. We can say that God can use anything. And this this is not whether or not God can talk to us. Okay, I don't think this is a clear passage of Scripture that says that God has done talking. Okay, definitive in that he can't speak to somebody. He can. But the reality is, is that um, I don't I, – I, I, in my skepticism, I got to believe – I really believe that 99.9% of the people who out there say that God is talking to them, uh, that he ain't. And the first thing I do to, to figure out whether or not God is talking to somebody is look at their doctrine. If their doctrine is not lining up with the word of God, God ain't talking to them. They're talking to themselves or the, our demons are talking to them. Right? Okay, so he says, yes, there are many cheats in this world and that would uh, make money off of Christianity. I can think of a few. Well, I can think of more than a few. Just go to the Museum of Idolatry. You've got lots of people there. You know, I didn't turn off my email program. Can you believe that? Ugh, Roseboro. <laughs> Nothing from Todd Friel yet. No. <laughs> All right, turning off the email program so I don't get any emails during the show. Oh, man. All right, so... Um, all right, he says, there are many cheats in the world. I can think of a few, but not everyone is in it for the cash. I agree. That, here's the deal. It, it, motive doesn't determine whether or not it's from God. Motive doesn't determine. Okay? There are some people who are charlatans and cheats, and there are some people who are sincere. But they're sincerely wrong. Okay? There is a category known as sincerely wrong. We need to... Keep that in mind. And if it does not open an opportunity for just one person to share the gospel, if it does open an opportunity for just one person to share the gospel and that other person becomes a Christian and not just a Christ follower, interesting way of putting that. He, he's catching some of the themes we got going on here. Even if promotion, uh, uh, even if promotion it, it fails, the person that became a Christian might be the one that God was aiming at. Then we, Jim, you, and I, and the angels will rejoice. Absolutely. And one of the things I said, and I'll reiterate, is that you know I I got to commend Jim for the fact that he's getting out into the trenches, he's getting out on the front lines, and as a result of it, he's had opportunities to share the gospel. You know, the reality is, is that he did he didn't need a T-shirt company to do that. But the T-shirt company was became the impetus for him to do it. So I thank God for that. And my hope for him is that even if his idea fails, that he will continue to get out on the front lines, stay in the front lines as a good soldier for Christ and share the gospel. And so in that case, I'll definitely rejoice. All right. He says, mm-hmm. all right. He says, but the sermon is good. Just don't paint with such a wide brush all the time. <laughs> I, hey, you know, Chad, uh, I understand that it looks like I'm painting with a wide brush, but what I'm really trying to do here is challenge people, okay? And what I've done, being a 40-year-old guy, I've seen assumptions move from one thing to another. I've seen major changes in Christianity over the years. And, you know, I've seen Christianity operating from one set of assumptions when I was a kid to a completely different set of assumptions that it's working from now. And I'm challenging some of those assumptions. And I know I'm doing it, and I know that it, I'm stepping on people's toes by doing it. But I'm one of the things I'm going to challenge and I'll continue to challenge is some of the assumptions that have crept into mainstream Christianity as a result of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements, okay, which I consider to be in rebellion to very clear teachings of Jesus Christ. 
and here's the deal. We got to get away from the subjective and stay on the objective. The subjective gets us nowhere. That whole, you know, that song, you ask me how, you know, he lives, he lives within my heart. Perfect example of subjectivism. Sorry. You ask me how I know he lives. It wouldn't make a good song. But the answer to the question is, well, because the Bible, the eyewitnesses to Jesus's life, death and resurrection recorded it in the New Testament, you know, and we can build out from there. So you asked me how I know he lives. Well, the eyewitnesses to that <laughs> wrote it in the book, you know, it, it doesn't make a good hymn. So, you know, we, we've got to get away from rank subjectivism. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm talking about some you know, I'm not making a case for just dry intellectualism. No, not at all. What I'm trying to do is pull the reins back a little bit here and get people to question here. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm not just saying to worship him only in truth. It's spirit and truth. The problem is, is that there's a lot of spirit going on, not a lot, of, not enough truth. Know what I mean? And I don't even think I'm interpreting that verse right there. But uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the gist of it. Okay. So here's the deal. Don't be so quick to say God is talking to you or that you're receiving direct revelation from it. Like I said, it could be an undigested piece of beef. Take a Pepsid, it'll go away. All right? Anyway, Chad says, thanks and keep fighting for the faith. Well, Todd Friel doesn't think I fight for the faith. He just thinks I'm a liberal. <laughs> Great. It, it, they have a huge audience, too. Now, there's like a gazillion people now who think Chris Roseborough from Fighting for the Faith is a liberal. Ugh, call, well, me, you know, call me all kinds of bad names. Don't call me a liberal. Mm. He thinks your name is Rosenberger. Yeah, Rosenberger. Chris Rosenberger. Yeah, that Chris Rosenberger, he's a liberal. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. We've got another one here talking. Uh, let's see. God speaking to us. Yep. On the same subject here. Oh, man. We're up on our first break. <laughs> man, those are coming up quicker nowadays. <laughs> I think I'm getting old. Anyway. All right. We're going to take our first break. Um, if you'd like to email me, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And just let me know how much of a liberal I am. Thanks, Todd. And uh, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-beater system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now... 
Listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We're responding to listener email about whether or not God is talking to you. Do you receive downloads from God? How quickly do they come down? Is God connected to a T3 connection? Or is it more like a dial-up? How long do the progress bars take? And what kind of packets come down? And <laughs> Vision 1.0. Sorry, you were wrong. Vision 1.1. We have to go back to Veda. Veda Vision. Veda... <laughs> oh, man. All right, so we're reading email about the talking to God stuff. And I know this is stepping on some people's toes. But ultimately, folks, this is about the question, where do we have a sure and certain word from God? Answer, the Bible. In fact, if you want God to talk to you, (laughs) grab your Bible and open it and begin reading. Don't do any of that hunt and peck stuff. You want to know what God has to say? He has a lot to say, a lot to say. In fact, if you're trying, this is a good way of putting it. We all kind of agree that there's some people who are a little bit crazy when it comes to the whole eschatology thing. And they can tell you what each of the, you know, the seven golden trumpets and the the lampstands and the, and the bowls from the book of Revelation are supposed to mean. And they spend a lot of time trying to divine what Revelation is all about. What I like to say about those people is they spend a lot of time majoring in the minors. Okay. And folks, if you're spending a lot of time focusing in on what God supposedly is telling you personally, not only are you majoring in the minors, you're not even focusing on the right thing. 
Okay, it's not about what God is speaking to you directly. It's what what God has said. We Christians are called to proclaim the gospel. We don't get to reinvent the gospel with each subsequent generation of Christians based upon what God says the gospel is today. No, we've been given a sure and certain word. Our job is to proclaim it, teach it, expound it, pray on it, meditate on it, learn it, inwardly digest it, memorize it, know it backwards and forward, use it to take thoughts captive to Christ. That's where God is speaking. I know it sounds boring. It requires you to do some work using grammar, you know, nouns, verbs, direct objects, objects, subjective clauses, you know, subordinate clauses, you know, things, you know, things like that. I understand there's a little bit of grammar work involved, but that's where God has definitively spoken. That's where our emphasis needs to be. So uh, Jeremy writes, he says, I heard the program on God talking to you, and I myself have felt God that has talked to me directly. And while a few times it was something direct that had a real impact, it's usually from the calling to a particular scripture. I always read the whole chapter to get the context and always find the wisdom and, and truth that I need. You mentioned in your radio program how the scary thing about people who seem to receive direct revelation from God is that when nothing happens, they will have a crisis in faith. That's one of the potential problems, yes. And he says, um, can't it also be dangerous if the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something uh, to not do it? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something and you would not do it, I guess technically we'll, we'll call that disobedience. But the question is, what is God calling you to, right? And how do you know it's God calling you to it? For instance, okay, <clears throat> you know, this is a pretty good example. There's a lot of guys who feel like they're being called into the ministry, right? Now, the reality is, is that they actually will not get confirmation that God is calling them into the ministry until they've studied and shown themselves approved as workmen who need not blush, who can rightly handle the word of truth. In the Missouri Synod, we call that seminary. And no, it's not cemetery. You purpose-driven guys need to get that thing, that thinking out of your head altogether. But the, here's the deal. So guys who believe that God is calling them into the ministry, what they do is they start heading out down that road. And they get the education necessary to be qualified, but they will not know whether or not God has truly called them into the ministry until they receive a call from a congregation that says, um, you know, such and such church in such and such place is calling you to be our pastor. How do you know God's called you in the ministry? When you receive the call from a congregation. That's a call that comes from God. So... Yeah, God might be calling you to do something. Here's my question. How would you know God is calling you to do it? Now, there's a lot of things I've done in my life that, you know, I, for lack of a better way of putting it, have felt inspired to do, but I can't tell you for sure they're from God. It's very difficult to divine whether or not that was truly God's will. And so many people I've seen over and over again through the years, Christians laboring, laboring, over whether or not God has called them to do something, and they're seeking God's face, and you know, with tears, even, you know, looking for guidance, looking for some kind of, you know, an answer. And the answer, what are you expecting? A comet to fly by in the sky at night? You know, what would be the answer to the question? God sometimes just doesn't tell us whether or not we're doing what He's called us to do because it just doesn't work that way. But if you have children, guess what? You've been called to be a parent. If you have a job, you've been called to do that job. 
as if God himself is your boss. We can say that definitively. So those that's those are the things that you can say for sure, but there's not a lot much else that you can go beyond that because Scripture doesn't give us the means for divining God's perfect will for our lives. And Ouija boards, by the way, are satanic. Don't use them to try to figure it out. Anyway, he continues. All right. All right. Crisis faith. Okay. If that man was called to try to sell the million t-shirts for Jesus and God's kingdom is blessed for it, why make it seem like he's failed because his wording sometimes made it seem as though the call was actually to sell the million t-shirts? Well, I already went through this, uh, Jeremy, and the answer to the question is because that's an important part of the so-called download that he received. He was called to do something big for the kingdom. And if you listen to the early part of the interview, that's what Jim exactly said, is that you know he wanted to do something big for the kingdom of God, and he believed that this was God's answer to that desire you know, through the inspiration that came from the download. So the million part, the million T-shirts is a big part of it, okay? In fact, it makes it a critical part. Isn't that a stumbling block to him? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard uh, stories and had experiences all my life of the Holy Spirit talking to people directly, such as my Sunday school teacher who was called to drive a certain way and in doing so saved an elderly woman or my own experience being warned while moving boxes to step out of the way in doing so was saved from serious injury. Now, here's we've all heard stories like this where, you know, for some some unexplicable reason, you, you know, you do something like this story that you had. You, you were moving boxes and for some inexplicable reason, you felt like you had to move out of the way. Well, I mean, let's run through the possibilities here. Um, could be intuition. It could be the Holy Spirit. It could be an angelic interference. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain these things. But I think that's significantly different than saying I received a specific def, uh, download from God that said I need to do such and such and that you you know I need to sell one million T-shirts for Jesus. Okay? That, I think, is worlds apart you know, then, you know, I felt this need to move. And by doing so, you know, I was, I wasn't killed. Okay. Of course, if you had just sat there after you had that, you know, then you'd be flat as a pancake, but never mind. <clears throat> Furthermore, if someone is called to do something and it fails, isn't that a test of faith to believe that there was a reason for the calling? If it, even if it cannot be seen. Now I go back to my, uh, my uh, initial thing here, Jeremy, um, if someone is called to do something and it fails, isn't that a test of faith? Not necessarily. If God gives specific information about what you're supposed to be doing and it doesn't turn out at all like the way God told you, it would turn out then it wasn't God who told you. That is not a test of faith. And you're not more faithful if you stay true to the false idea that didn't come from God. Okay? I think the test of faith comes, comes at the point that you supposedly receive the revelation. Are you going to trust God's word or are you going to turn inward and look to yourself? That's where the real test of faith is. I'm a firm proponent of sola scriptura. And uh, one of the, uh, I forget the name of this guy, one of the, uh, one of the schwärmerei. that's an interesting term. It's a, it's a German term that has it basically swarmers, you know, Pentecostals of Luther's day, one of the Pentecostals of Luther's day. You know, basically, you know, I, I forget how he said he's a Bible babble bubble. You know, Luther, you just need to get the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Luther basically said, you know, I wouldn't believe you if you'd swallowed the Holy Spirit feathers and all. <laughs> great, great quote. 
Um, and of course, I probably tortured uh, the story a little bit. But you know, here's the deal: somebody comes to me and says that the Holy Spirit's telling him something. Mike, knock it off. Stop it. All right, you know, let's let's focus in on what God has truly said. And once you've got that mastered, we'll we'll deal with this other stuff. Seriously. Let's focus on the objective and stop looking inward, you know, for some kind of guidance that way. Look to God's word. Really, it it does provide the light for your feet on this dark path. Now, isn't the real truth of any of the fruit it, it, it produces? Please be careful in your ministry, lest you become a stumbling block as you do such a wonderful work to clear them away. No, I appreciate uh, your, your your thoughts and feelings here, Jeremy. Um, but, um, again, come back to we've got to focus on the clear words of God and we've got to stop the subjective epistemology. We can trust God's word. 99.9% of the time... The people who are saying they're receiving direct revelation from God over and again, I've, I've seen that that is just not the case. And the problem is, is that that's a significant thing in their Christian walk. You know, and they're, I think they're being deceived and it's dangerous stuff. All right. Before I get to this next one, because this next one requires me, you know, I've got a uh, email from a, from a gal in the, uh, is she in the UK? Yep. She's, she lives in the UK and uh, she was talking about um, the differences between a Christian and a Christ follower and how that was beneficial. But we're going to tie that into a news story that we uh, read today from today's edition of the Christian Post. Ruth, Grant, Ruth Graham says that the world is tired of plastic Christians. These two stories actually go well together. But before we do that, <clears throat> something a little bit silly. Y'all ever heard of that uh, song that's, that's kind of a mid-radio hit? It's called uh, Lean Like a Cholo. <sighs> well, apparently someone's come up with a Christian version of it. Yeah, a Christianized version of Lean Like a Cholo. And, uh, oh man, you've got to hear this. <laughs> Lean Like a Cholo. A cholo, by the way, is is an ethnic term for um, you know somebody who's Hispanic. You know, Usually gangbangers and stuff like that kind of refer to themselves as cholos. Um, lean like a cello. I don't want the lyrics. I want the actual video itself. Um, and so this has apparently been a, a YouTube sensation. I can't play all of the song well because, well, um, it's not the the cholos are not exactly um, Christian. <laughs> Let's just say some of their lyrics. Um, well, yeah. Anyway, so here, I, I'm going to play some video here from the Lean Like a Cholo video on YouTube. And I'm sure those enterprising out there who want to go and find this can and will. I don't endorse it. But anyway, here we go. So that you know what the context is here. Here we go. All the homies, they know what I mean. Baby, let me show you how I lean. Like a cholo. Lay back, bounce in the car. When we do a dance, we do it like what? Like a, like a cholo. Side to side. Elbows up, up, side to side. Elbows up, side to side. Elbows up, up, side to side. Like a cholo. All up in the club, tan deep. Looking for some highness. We on the creep. I need a bad one, a real freak. Find them on the dance floor, so don't sleep. Damn, I like you, I like you, but I really want her. She's that type. 
I can't tell. Let me get in too deep. Take her back to the hotel. But right now, I'm yeah, I think I've already gone too far. I'm on the move. Show this little mama how a gangster groove. All right, we're going to show that little mama a gangster groove. Well, that's such a great Christian song, the uh, Lean Like a Cholo. Well, in the Truth is Stranger Than Fiction category, um, there's a young, enterprising youth ministry worker who's come up with his own version of Lean Like a Cholo, and it's called Act Like a Christian. Uh, must warn you, as you probably already can tell, this is the kind of song that could easily get stuck in your head. I apologize for that. Um, what's it, what do they call those things? Earworms. <laughs> Here's the uh, Christianized version of Lean Like a Cholo called Act Like a Christian. All my homies all up in the church, let me teach you how you're supposed to act like a Christian. You see, when you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, then there's a different way that you're supposed to live. Like a Christian. Elbows out, hands up high. Elbows out, out, hands up high. Elbows out, hands up high. El- elbows out, hands up high. Like a Christian, all up in the church. We on time, looking for a few people for game time. I need a couple big boys so we can win. Who's ready to give us few? Man, that's a sin, okay? I like you, I like you, but I don't like him. We play some crazy games on Wednesday night. Then on Thursday morning, we get ready to go back to the high school. That's where we can live a holy week. Will we act like a Christian, like a Jesus freak, or will we hide who we really are and be ashamed of the Savior who gave us all? Like this and like that, nailed to a cross while all the guards bat on his face and made fun of him, treating him real nasty like he was a elbows out, hands up high, elbows out, out, hands up high, elbows out. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is this song's gonna be rattling around in my head for a couple of days. Like a Christian, dun, 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 dun. hands up high, <laughs> elbows up. <sighs> you can see the video if you'd like to actually uh, view the video. It's at the Museum of Idolatry. We've uh, put it up. It's it, it it's right today as of today at the moment. It's it's currently the the top exhibit and we put it in the graveyard of relevance we, you know, we have different wings in the museum of idolatry and this one went straight to the graveyard of relevance why do i do that what's the graveyard of relevance all about well the graveyard of relevance is all about dumb christian ways that somebody tries to connect to the culture relevantly and ends up flopping and looking stupid okay <laughs> the way i like to put it is that relevance is a very fickle girlfriend one day she'll make you feel like the king of the world, but then the next day she'll make you feel like yesterday's leftover lasagna. I'm serious. You know, we should not be courting this woman, relevance. We should not be courting her. 
And the reason why is because the gospel is, is, is an unchanging message. It, is, it doesn't change, and Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the other thing is, is that Christ, the, the scriptures tell us that friendship with the world is enmity with Christ. It really is. So when we do these silly, stupid, relevant things, we just look silly and stupid. And so, uh, you know, in the graveyard of relevance, we have some amazing examples of some things that at one moment they were relevant. And then the next, uh, not so much. This one actually kind of went straight to irrelevance, though. <clears throat> it's bad theology, too. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, this is just, mm. Anyway, so, yeah, Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's I think that's in the music, in the graveyard of relevance too. Anyway, so there it is, the Christian version of "Lean Like a Cholo" called "Act Like a Christian," and this guy's gotten a ton of hits. He's gotten quite a he actually got a write up in Time Magazine for this. Yeah. I kid you not, uh, at least the Time Magazine website, you know. So, yeah, do 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 do. Yeah, just a supreme flop, if you ask me. I just look at this and cringe. Uh, all right. Moving along. We're going to start this email, and then we're going to connect this to a story from the uh, Christian Post. Uh, the headline reads, Ruth Graham, uh, World is Tired of Plastic Christians. This opens up a very important discussion. By the way, do you know they have Christian Bratz dolls now? <laughs> They're called God's Girls. God's Girls. Yeah. And what's really funny is they all that look like prostitutes? no, no, they don't all look like prostitutes. One is uh, a little ho hoey. Um, the the one that there's several of in the God's Girls collection, and the one named Sarah. Um, oh man, <laughs> she, come take a look and tell me if you know if my daughter dressed like this, I would definitely put an, a stop to that. Yeah. yeah, that's out there. Yeah, that's also at the Museum of Do- of Idolatry. There's another there's another girl in there. She looks like a granola girl, you know, that she's got that kind of frumpy look to her. So, I mean, maybe that they offset. I don't know. But no, the the God's girls um Sarah is definitely not modest. You know, she's got that kind of low-cut tank top tiara and a tutu and some glittery I don't know what those are, like capri pants or something like that, you know, tight little things. No, if my daughter dressed like this, we'd have some words, any of them, either one of them, either of my two daughters. They dress like this, there would be words. I like the tiara, though. I mean, that's a nice little. (laughs) All right, so, okay. I got this email from Diana in the UK. Here's what she says. Chris, I wanted to thank you for your messages you've run recently about the difference between a Christian and a Christ follower. I have found them truly liberating. This is this is the kind of emails that we like to you know to hear you know from time to time that you know that somebody has an aha moment. She says, "I live in the UK and have been a Christian for 16 years. And after being a Christian for seven years, I slid into depression, and the depression lasted for about three years and resulted in me hating myself and also an eating disorder where I refused to allow myself to eat in order to punish myself for being a quote bad Christian." 
I've been here before. Wow. I could accept that God had forgiven my sins before I became a Christian, but now that I was a Christian and knew the right way to live and everything God had done for me, and yet I still wasn't living in complete obedience to him, therefore I was a, quote, bad person. Secular counseling relieved me of the problem initially by teaching me that I was good enough. But after that left me with a problem of not being able to return to God, as I knew, according to his word, I was not good enough, and I had a fear of becoming depressed again. It was only 18 months ago that I finally realized I had no alternative but to accept that God is my everything. Without him, I am nothing. Praise God that I now uh, that I have now taken hold of grace and really understand that he has done everything what the law was powerless to do. God has done in Christ. Awesome. Good. Exactly. That's the point. And my point in, in pointing out these dichotomies that are occurring today in Christian speak about being a Christ follower versus a Christian, it's law-based and it leads people to despair because if you really truly are honest with what God's law is demanding from you, you will realize you ain't living up to it. So here's what she she continues. Initially, I thought my misunderstanding is about God's grace was down to my own pride, that I wanted to feel I was able to earn God's love, and that is true. However, having listened to our pastor's sermons on Sunday, I think his teaching contributed also to my issues. He was talking about evangelism. One point he made was that whilst it is right and proper that we understand doctrine— That's not all. Yes, Jesus came, he lived, was crucified, paid the price for our sin. God raised him to heavenly places, and now he's reigning over the universe. All that is important. He said, but that's just the how. The point of it is this happens so that we can fulfill our potential by living in unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is is salvation, which is so much more than having a correct theology and getting into heaven. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. You know what, uh, Diana, I definitely recommend that you visit the uh, New Reformation Press website and um, and get a hold of Dr. Rosenblatt's speech on those who are um, those who've been hurt by the church. It, the, it'll continue to help you out here. I strongly recommend that. Um, so then he she continues. Um, he then went on to say that we are witnesses to the gospel, and this is and this is challenging because if our lives don't witness to that new life in Christ, no one will ask about it or be impressed with it. Oh man, this is a uh, this is a really sneaky way of getting that law back in. Like what we heard yesterday from uh, Carrie Shook, going from the stress zone to the blessed zone. Ay, I swear this is the kind of stuff that'll make an atheist out of you. An atheist or suicidal. <sighs> they will look at us and say, "We don't. Uh, I don't want what you've got. Why should I?" They won't recognize that what that we've got something worth knowing about unless our lives lift up to it. You know what's funny is is that um, I really want what uh, the prostitute had with Jesus: forgiveness of sins. Her life didn't show nothing except for that she was a dirty, rotten sinner, and yet Christ forgave her of her sins. <clears throat> Having heard this, I think maybe I did take some of this on board in the past. I I now think this type of teaching is so burdensome on God's people, even dangerous. Yes, it is. The uh, focus has uh, has become, does my life show the truth about Christ? The focus... Oh, man. Um, 
The truth about Christ sits outside of you, Diana. And I'm glad that you're writing this email. And you're right. You know, this, this emphasis, does my life show the truth about Christ? Well, I can tell you for a fact, my life does. Why? Because I'm a, I'm a rotten sinner. And the truth about Christ is that he forgives sins. The thing we contribute to our salvation is sin. That's, that's, the, the, that's our contribution in all of its murky muckiness. All right. <clears throat> the focus is no longer on Christ and everything he has done, which is liberating, leads to fruit bearing. Yes, that's right. But does my life bear fruit, which leads to bondage? Excellent point, Diana. And you're right. The, just the subtle twist makes all the difference in the whole world. The focus is no longer on Christ and everything he has done, which is liberating and leads to bearing fruit. That's right. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, where we trust and put our faith in Christ. And that faith is a living faith which produces good fruits. Focus on Christ and what he has done. If you change the emphasis, as you said, to does my life bear fruit, that is the question that leads to bondage. And over and again, you see scripture. A great example is from, you know, again, the, you know, the sheep and the goat judgment. And the sheep are going, when do we do that, Lord? <laughs> How could you not have done it? You're a Christian, you know? So, so thank you once again for the insights you have shared on your radio program and also on your website, Extreme Theology. God bless, Diana. Thank you for tuning in, Diana. Thank you for a great email, too, and, and for sharing that. Uh, I was happy to pass this along. And, you know, she uses those alternative uh, English spellings, you know, yeah, her, her spell checker is different than mine. Let's just put it that way. But I was able to slog through it, even on the polysyllabic words. <laughs> I are getting better. All right, we're going to, we're gonna after that email, I want to come to this news story about the world that's tired of plastic Christians because it ties in well with, uh, with Diana's email. So we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about plastic Christians. Hmm. So if you'd like to email me today and let me know how God is talking to you, um, whether or not I'm a liberal, uh, <laughs> anything you've heard so far, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology made accessible.
Sissy Pansy Cannon for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. All my homies all up in the church, let me teach you how you're supposed to act like a Christian. You see, when you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, then there's a different way that you're supposed to live. Like a Christian. Elbows out, hands up high. Elbows out, out, hands up high. Oh man, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. That is the worst bumper music in the whole world. Looking for a few people. Let's kill that. All right, you're <laughs> elbows up, hands up high. <laughs> Have you ever heard the uh, the guy who who uh, who has the uh, <laughs> the praise aerobics on YouTube? Oh man, I I should do that. <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. <laughs> oh, where did I put it? Was that in the Strangers in Fiction wing? Oh man, I forget. There's this guy on the internet, and he definitely is very light in the loafers, and uh, he's got he's <laughs> he's got like uh, some kind of a praise wor- uh, thing that he does, and he, it's a complete riot. And um, oh man, I gotta find this. Oh man, I've got to go into the background of of. Uh, let me go into my hidden search engine within the the bowels of the Museum of Idolatry to f- to pull up. The, you know, we we're at uh, we are at good night. We're almost at eight hundred exhibits now at the Museum of Idolatry. Eight hundred exhibits of idolatry. Good night. But this this one was just hilarious. Hilarious. That's right. There is no admission. <laughs> Praise. P R A I. I can't. I'm not going to be able to find this. <laughs> Praise up. Praise back. I, when did I put that up there? It's it's going to drive me crazy. But, uh, you know, it. it oh, I'll, I'll have to find it later. Oh, man. It's worth. It's definitely worth it. So what we're going to do right now, rather than doing that, because that's just crazy talk. I, just one of my absolute favorite. I wonder if I have it saved on YouTube. Let me go to my YouTube account. YouTube. Yes, I have a YouTube account, and it's a little eleven dot. It's a little eleven is my screen name at at YouTube. So if you want to, uh, you know, talk to me at a little eleven, I'll be sure to uh, at, at YouTube. You can email me, and I'll be sure to ignore it, because so, <laughs> that's what I do, right? Yeah, um, but that's why you don't have an answer machine. You know how many emails I get a day? It's crazy. Between my extreme theology, the Museum of Idolatry, fighting for the faith, and work at Pirate Christian Radio, I get somewhere – on a slow day, it's like 500 emails. On, on a busy day, it's like about 1,000. 
I mean, when you look at my email program, my my daughters, you know, from time to time would look at the number that's next to my email icon and they'll go, Dad, do you have that many emails that you haven't read? And I go, yes, dear. That's like two days worth of emails. If I don't read my emails for two days, it's crazy. You know, and, and to make matters worse, I'm on Facebook now. <laughs> so I, I I think it's a form of suicide that I'm trying to um, achieve here. It's just, you know, some slow form of suicidal stuff that I'm doing. I don't know why. I just I don't know why. You have a life in front of your Mac. Uh huh. Here it is. It's gospel dance aerobics. I found it. <laughs> okay, I found. I found it. I knew I could do it. I believed in myself. Good it, enough? Yeah, good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn, people like me. Yeah. <laughs> Let me. Uh, okay, I found it. <laughs> oh man, it's it's crazy. I just I want to make sure I got the right one because the the praise up praise back thing is just a riot. Good night. He's got, this guy's got sixty two videos on the internet of his glory praise dance aerobics. You've got to, oh here we go. This is it. Now this workout begins with the spirit, taps your soul. And transforms your body. All right? Now, I'm excited. You keep the groove. And, of course, you're going to watch what I'm going to do. Okay? Listen up. This is Paul Eugene, by the way. And um, giving him praise is his screen name on YouTube. And this one's called Gospel Aerobics. Give him praise. It's a praise thing. And four. I'm getting there. And three, two, here it goes. I go up, two, two, and step back. It's called the praise up and come back. So he's holding up his hands. He's doing these funky moves, and it's called the praise up and praise back. <laughs> yeah, he's got the elbows up, hands up high. He's, he's yeah, he's acting like a, ch- a Christian, Cholo. Oh, man, it's... Uh, entertainment at its finest. Anyway, all right. So we're oh man, we're let's uh let's get into our news story here. So we've got a little bit of news. This is from the uh, Christian Post. Ruth Graham, world's tired of plastic Christians. The world is tired of plastic Christians. Now, this, uh, this story actually works really well with uh, the email that we got from Diana. And, you know, and, and my contention over and over again as somebody who's lived through this is that many Christians misunderstand law and gospel. And they preach the law as if it's the good news, and it's not. And, and the gospel is only for somebody who's just first coming to Christianity. But then you've got to get on this rat wheel, and you've got to do these good works and make your life worthy and produce these good fruits. Otherwise, God hates you, you know. So, um. Ruth Graham writes about this. It's, uh, Ruth Graham knows firsthand how life can be filled with heartache. The third of evangelist Billy Graham's five children, she has dealt with a daughter's uh, teen pregnancies and, and another's bulimia and a son's drug use. So Ruth Graham is the third child of Billy Graham. Okay, Nashville, Tennessee is the headline. Ruth Graham knows firsthand how life can be filled with heartache. 
All right. She's also, okay, the third of Evangelist Billy Graham's five children. She has dealt with a teen, a daughter's teen pregnancies. Daughters with a teen daughter's teen pregnancies. Plural. Yeah, no, 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 no. Her own daughter's pregnancies. Another child's bulimia and a son's drug use. She's also struggled with suicidal thoughts after learning that her first husband had been unfaithful, a discovery that led to a second rebound marriage lasting only five weeks. These low points eventually led her in 2004 to form a ministry, Ruth Graham and Friends, that helps others address problems that she said are all are too often ignored in the Christian community. Quote, once we're in church, we pretend all the sinners are on the outside. We want to keep the rules, and when we can't, we become shameful and pretend we have it all together, Graham said in an interview. That is a telling, telling quote. This idea that once you're in church, you pretend that all the sinners are on the outside. Folks, you know there's something wrong with your church when the sinners are all on the outside rather than on the inside. I'm going to tell you this. Make no mistake about it. The church that I attend is chock full of sinners. Welcome them. Yeah, welcome them. In fact, in fact, our church is only for sinners. If you're not a sinner, we've got nothing to offer you. Because what we have to offer at our church is forgiveness of sins. Won by Christ on the cross. Led by sinners. Yeah, yeah and it's led by sinners. You know, my pastor, he's a sinner. I've seen him sin. Yeah. And I sin a lot more than he does, though. And John goes to my church, too. You know, and John, you're a sinner. I think I told you that yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in a church. If you're attending a church where all the sinners are on the outside, there's something seriously wrong. Because you guys are deceiving yourself. A real Christian church is chock full of sinners. As it should be. And what did these sinners do when they come to church? They receive and hear God's forgiveness of sins. They receive his word. They receive his sacraments. And they worship and thank him for the blessings and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Christ. Right? That's really what the Christian community does. But if you're you're going to church to get life principles on how to be a better person and to not be such a sinner, hmm, you know, and see this experience that Ruth Graham is talking about here is symptomatic. It's a it's literally a symptom of bad preaching and teaching and a false emphasis in the church on the law. It's exactly what's going on here. All right. She says Graham is trying to educate Christians about these issues through her get growing conferences, including one held last month in Nashville that drew about 400 people. The events at uh, uh, the events address troubles such as addiction, depression, eating disorders, marital infidelity, anger, divorce, loneliness, and pornography. The world is tired of plastic Christians, she said. I was tired of being a plastic Christian. I told everyone that I had it all together and I was falling apart. And I was scared to death to tell somebody. That's part and parcel of what happens when the law is preached as if it's the gospel. At these conferences, she talks about her experiences and how her faith and family's support helped her survive. The meetings include workshops where participants can get one-on-one guidance. Graham received psychological counseling after her second divorce and says in her workshops that some Christians might need therapy in addition to spiritual counseling. Graham has also written several books, including In Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart 
and about her own family's hardship and I'm pregnant now what? About teen pregnancy. My concern is for the person who's in the church and is either stuck because of how these major issues in their life or they're just struggling with a family member or someone they know, she said, and they want to know how to get unstuck. Graham, who's 57, has the same tall, graceful bearing as her famous father, a lifelong Presbyterian. She doesn't consider herself an evangelist and said, describing what she does as sharing. Quote, I think I'm dealing with believers already who are just struggling in their lives like I did. She said, a lot of people have been taught that if you're depressed, there's something wrong with you spiritually. That's so unfair. It's a, it's a physical issue. No one was addressing it with me. I was told to get a Bible and go up into the mountains and I'd be fine, and I knew I wasn't. I wanted to take a gun into the woods and shoot myself. <clears throat> now, I'm not exactly thrilled with her solutions here. The solutions isn't the gospel, is it? It's getting them help. Folks, the solution to these problems is to come to grips with the fact that everybody sitting in a pew is a stinky sinner. Yourself included. Okay? In fact, here's the deal. I'm bringing my stinky sins with me as a stinky sinner to church every single Sunday. So I don't really have time to look at other people and go, oh, I'm not as stinky as they are. Believe me, all of our sin stinks. The emphasis at church should be on the forgiveness of sins won by Christ. And that the only people who are welcome within the church are those who are sinners. It is not a place for the righteous. Because the righteous don't need Christ. If you're righteous and you're sinless, you don't need Jesus. So we have nothing to offer you. Because the only thing we have to offer you at our church is Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. Mm, yeah, they might need help too. Yeah. So... So, you know, we can offer you help, and we can offer you Christ. But don't come to our church with the expectation that the sinners are on the outside. Mm-mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. In fact, we begin with a confession of sin, so we pretty much get that one right out of the chute. Um, everyone here a sinner? Yeah, I'm a sinner. All right, let's confess them. <laughs> oh, man, not again. So, But proof positive. Just another example. Plastic Christians are the people who are acting like they're pulling it off. That is the equi- that is the same thing. Now, being a guy of girth, that would be like me trying to suck it in, pretending that I am somehow in shape. I can only go without breathing for so long before my gut's going to start flapping over my belt again, right? So if I could say, see, I'm, I'm in shape and I'm not fat. Don't I look great? I can't breathe. Blah, blah. There, see? That's the same thing. A plastic Christian is the, is the equivalent of a fat person trying to look slim by sucking in their gut. Ain't going to work. Ain't going to happen. You might actually do yourself some harm. But some people have become really good at contorting themselves into that suck it in position. They're in a lot of pain, but they're trying to make everyone think that, hey, I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm okay. No, you're not. You need Christ. And you need the gospel. And you got to come to grips with saying these words. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess all of my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you, Lord. Daily. Amazing grace. Yeah, amazing. That's the thing. Amazing grace. Grace is only amazing if you really, truly understand how wretched you are. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Amen. All right. For the the balance of the program here, Chuck Curry is at it again. I got an email today from somebody apparently who likes watching Chuck Curry or keeping eyes on him. He he, <laughs> Chuck Curry is uh, the gentleman in the Pacific Northwest. He's a pastor of a uh, of a church in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, how do I put this kindly? Um, he, he's kind of a liberal bully of sorts, and he likes mixing it up with some people. And um, he's recently done another sermon. You know, you know, remember we reviewed him a while ago, and he talked about the many paths to God. <sighs> you know, you just want to go, hmm, what? Yeah. Anyway, so we're, we're he's a United Church of Christ pastor, and um, let's uh, let's see. He's uh, this is from his podcast, and the name of this sermon is "Who is a Christian? Who is a Christian?" Now, remember. He's uh, a firm proponent of the uh, many paths that lead to Mount Fuji, <laughs> to the top of Mount Fuji thing. So, and and I think to do this justice, we've got to understand that there were there were th- one, two, three passages of scripture from which he drew this sermon. We should read them, okay? Because he he refers to these in his um, in his uh, sermon, and so and I'm using this using the website that he pointed to. The first is Micah three, verses five through twelve. I'll read it. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. Ouch. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power and the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might and declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equality, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Surely the Lord is with us all. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house of a wooded height. Okay. Definitely a problem here uh, in Israel that Micah is preaching against. We got prophets saying, Peace, peace, and, and they're literally taking advantage of the poor. Always love it when people take advantage of the poor in the name of God. Oh man, it there. Mm, don't get me started on this one. TBN and so, there's this. Uh, there's the BET network on on uh, on my cable station. If you watch that thing early in the morning, or you watch the infomercials in the middle of the night, there are some spiritual har, uh, harlots. Is the best way I can put it. The man hoes, you know, because they're men. And I'll tell you, it just absolutely just frosts my cookies and burns my bacon listening to these guys selling hankies that they've blessed or something like that they're supposed to you know oh man and who are the people who are watching it's really the poor people they are stealing money from poor people through the their quote television ministries it's really just awful 
Anyway, Psalm 43 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a harp, O my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Okay? That was one. These are the passages that he drew his text, you know, his sermon from. So here's the the last one. The gospel reading was from Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they teach and you they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Interesting here, he's talking about you know the fact that these guys think they're pulling off the law. They're not. They're, they're loading people under the burden of the law, but they don't even lift a finger to help him. They all do their deeds to be seen by others. Oh, that frost might cookies too nothing worse than you know you ever see a pietistic pastor who before he begins his sermon will get down on his knees and play oh lord i just want to just ask you to just bless this sermon and speak through me those guys creep me out you know public displays of piety we talked about that you know anyway they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others and they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their flacketaries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students. And no one your, and no one your father on earth, for you have one father and that one is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, which is the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. And all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and he who humbles him that the and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Thus, the passages that make up the uh, <clears throat> the basis of this sermon from Chuck Curry from Park Rose Community United Church of Christ on who is a Christian. I bet you anything, it's law, not gospel. I just got that feeling. Do you hear the connections between these three readings this morning from Micah, from the Psalm, from Matthew? In Micah, we're hearing about false prophets who go out and say that they are there on behalf of God, but they're not doing what God asks. They're not taking care of the poor. They're not fighting oppression. They're siding with what might be called the evildoers of the day. God is frustrated with these false prophets for acting and preaching in his name. And in the psalm, we hear a, a prayer from a follower of God, someone who is lost and frustrated and doesn't understand why they're having to live in times that are difficult. They're feeling abandoned by God and abandoned by the religious authorities of the day. 
wondering why they've been left in this situation. And finally, we hear Jesus speak. And Jesus is saying that the religious leaders of his day are as bad as any other. They tell you the way things ought to be, how you ought to act, but they don't follow through. All right, so far so good. Chuck, you're do, we're doing good here. You're you're telling us what the text means. Good for you. This is a good start. We continue. They too are false prophets. And Jesus says, do what they say because they're saying the right things at least. They've got the right words coming out of their mouths, but don't actually follow them. Because if you pay attention to the way that they really act, well, that's another matter. In part, I read these three scriptures, and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, because part of what's being said in all three is that there is a good way of following God and a bad way of following God. Let me help you out here, Chuck. There's a true way, and there's a false way. Okay? True and false. Truth and error is what we're dealing with here. Okay? Each of these is important. Okay? Which means that all roads do not lead to God because these are religious leaders. Right? Now, I can buy that. I can understand that there are right ways to follow God and there are bad ways to follow God. But in our national discourse about religion today, we get very caught up in that debate. And we use it to attack one another and to question the faithfulness of those that we have disagreements with. Okay. Chuck, let me help you out again here. Um, For instance... I'm not going to question the, quote, faithfulness, unquote, of somebody who's in Islam. I would definitely say they are faithful to Islam. If they're a good, hard, practicing Muslim, they they get up and they pray five days, five times a day or seven, depending on whether or not they're a particular brand. They're definitely faithful to Islam. The problem is, is that that can't save them because Islam is a false religion. If you are following a false religion, Scripture is clear. There is a such thing as true and false prophets. The passages you pointed us to and you read to your congregation make it very clear that there are true and false religious leaders. True and false. Those who are in error and those who are not in error. Those who are speaking the words of truth from God and those who are not. And one of the ways you test that is look at their practice too, right? So we continue. I just want to make sure we got this all set up here because uh, <clears throat> faithfulness isn't the measure. It's at this point, you got to start with truth first. You could be faithful to something that's completely false. It's not going to help you. Let me give you two examples from recent days. The first is... 
from a website that the author of read a sermon that I gave here at this church. It wasn't me. No, it's, <laughs> everyone's pointing their fingers at me. I can feel your fingers pointing at me across the internet. No, no, no. I don't think he's referring to me here. And he read the sermon, and in it I had said that we ought to be respectful of different paths to God. That God might not just speak to Christians, but might also speak to Jewish people and Buddhist and Islamic people, and that we should be respectful of that. Well, I did comment on this on a previous program. This specific sermon, um, by the way, God doesn't speak in other religions. And I can respectfully say that. Okay, I'm sorry, but if Islam is true, then Christianity is false. Plain and simple. Because they have mutually exclusive truth claims. If Buddhism is true then Christianity and Islam are false. Just makes perfect sense. Okay? If Hinduism is true, then Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism are false. Okay? If Judaism in, in its current form is true, then Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, and Buddhism are false. But if Christianity is true, then... All the other religions in the whole world are false, and God does not speak through them. Plain and simple. It isn't truth as far as it's true for me and it works for me. No, truth is true regardless of whether or not you subscribe to it or not. You can sit there and you can throw rocks at the equation 2 plus 2 equals 4 and say, It's not fair. I want it to be 6. And I know somebody who thinks it should be 5. And what about those who think it's 3? <laughs> It's not fair that it's only four. <clears throat> My best impersonation of a temper tantrum. Um, you can sit there and rail all you want. And all of your railing and your claims that it's not fair is not going to change the fact that two plus two equals four. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, no one comes to the Father except for through me. When... When God, Yahweh, gave the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talking to those in Israel who had followed after the Baals and have created idols of their own hands, mocks them and condemns them for that practice. And God himself says, are there any other gods? I know not any. God doesn't go by the name of Allah. God doesn't go by the name of Buddha. God does not go by the name of Shiva, Vishnu, or any of those cats, you know, from the millions of deities. Doesn't go by the name Zeus, Athena. Doesn't go by the name of Hercules or anything of the sort. He is known and revealed himself as the I Am, as Yahweh. He has also revealed himself as Jesus Christ, who was God in human flesh. And the claims made by Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, are mutually exclusive. They exclude all other religions as false and idolatrous. Now, I'm completely content with the idea that, hey, maybe all of the religions are false and we're all just deluded. Completely possible. And I'm okay with one religion's true and the others are false. 
And the reason I believe Christianity is true is because the evidence is there to support the claims that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, and that's God in human flesh. So, Chuck, people who critiqued you and rebuked you for saying that God can be speaking through these other religions were doing so because the Bible's clear on this. If Christianity is true, God is not speaking through Islam at all. And I would be the first to tell you, Allah is a demon God. Plain and simple. And he read my sermon and he wrote, I say with complete confidence that the gospel that the Reverend Chuck Curry preaches is radically different than the one that the Apostle Paul was referring to. Yep, whoever wrote that was a smart guy. He should get a star in his star chart. He was absolutely a smart feller. Got it right. Reverence, in quotes, like this mock the cross and the blood of the martyrs. I am glad we live in a country where people have the freedom to preach whatever they like. We even have a people who hold these views, non-Christians. So I'm a non-Christian. Uh, Chuck, catch the logic here. Work with me here, Pastor Curry. Okay, If you're denying the exclusive claims of Christianity, and these are exclusive claims made by none other than Jesus Christ himself, and they are consistent with the claims made about the one true God throughout the entire inspired text of Scripture. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Maps, there's not multiple gods, there's not multiple paths, there is one path. And that is worship of the one true God as he has revealed himself. And trust in him for your salvation alone. God doesn't accept worship to Baal as worship to him. It's all throughout the scriptures. God doesn't accept the worship of Asherah as worship to him. He doesn't accept the worship of any of the false gods, Molech or any of, the, of any of those cats as worship to him. And not only that, we have the apostles going on missionary journeys and condemning worship of idols and calling people to repentance and faith in the one true God, who is Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh. Remember Paul on when he met with the Areopagus on Mars Hill? Did he say, oh, just keep what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. God is obviously talking to you through these idols. It's okay. It's okay. No, that's not. <laughs> In fact, I should pull this up just because, you know, but of course, you know, what's funny is, is that when I critiqued Chuck Curry the last time, you know, he basically, he poo-pooed everything that I said, you know, and pointed out to in the scripture and just said I was proof texting. See, I started out with the conclusion. You know what proof texting is, folks? Proof texting is where you begin with your conclusion ahead of time, and then you just go and find the scriptures that support your pre your your already preconceived condition, you know, your conclusion. Uh, no, actually, Chuck, I was not engaging in proof texting at all, okay? I was correctly exegeting and teaching and showing people what God's word consistently says from beginning to end. There is one God, and the one true God doesn't accept worship to other gods as worship to him. <clears throat> let me um, let me see here. Athens. Oh, boy. Okay, let me... Athens. There we go. 
<laughs> ah, here we go. Now, Paul was waiting in Athens. There we go. So Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 16. Acts 17. Let's take a look and see if Paul, you know, if the gospel that he preached, it made it possible for God to be speaking to the Athenians through their worship of uh, the pantheon of the Greek gods. Now, while Paul was in, uh, was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. It says Paul's spirit was provoked. Why would he be upset about that? 17 verse 16. Why would Paul's spirit be provoked? Okay. If, um, if what he, if the gods that they were, uh, worshiping there in Athens, God would accept worship to them as worship to him, right? I mean, why why would that upset him? Doesn't make a darn bit of sense. Um, by the way, the Greek word for provoke is uh, par par o. Uh, yeah, this is tough to actually say. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that okay. <clears throat> Parakuneto. I mess that up royally. And it literally means to cause a state of inward arousal, urge or stimulate, to provoke to wrath or to irritate, to become irritated or physically angry. Okay? So it says that while Paul was in Athens, he was provoked within his spirit as he saw that the city was full of idols. So what did he do? He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Well, others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except for telling or hearing something new. Oh, they were emergents. They were, you know, sorry, <clears throat> they were postmoderns. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you, that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now, isn't that interesting? The Athenians, they worship many, many, many gods. And just to make sure they didn't forget somebody, they hedged their bets and had a altar for the unknown God. Okay. Now, Paul uses this as common ground to then preach the gospel, the one true faith for as I, okay, to the unknown God. So what therefore you worship is unknown. I now proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live uh, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they would seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each of us, for... In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed God's offspring. 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See what Paul did? He's going right after their false idols and the false religion. He's calling them to repentance, to a change of mind, a change of heart. Stop following these worthless idols and repent and believe in Jesus was his message, right? And uh, now listen to how his people reacted. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Was Paul preaching uh, a gospel of tolerance with the understanding that God was speaking to them through their idols? No. No, he was calling them to repent of their idolatrous worship and to believe in the one true God. Yeah, he yeah he was basically saying what they were doing was pretty useless. So, um, so Chuck, here's the deal: that was the gospel that Paul preached, and that was his attitude towards other religions. And you call yourself a Christian minister. You call yourself a Christian and a pastor. Why is it that you then don't follow the example of the Christians, the first Christians, Paul, Peter? And the other apostles, John, Jude, James. Their doctrine was clear. There is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. We continue. Seems strange to think when I read the Bible every night. But the story on CNN was reported on October 20th. You may have seen it. A fellow by the name of David Miller, who is with an organization called Citizens for Community Values, was speaking at a Baptist church in Cincinnati when he said that the United Church of Christ provides a clear illustration of a non-biblical Christian group. Well, that sounds like a fair assessment based upon your sermons, Chuck. I mean, if you really believe that God's speaking to other religions, um, and you believe there's more than one way to God, and, and you know, the, you, so yeah, that excludes you from Christianity because you don't you don't actually teach the faith. It's that debate. It's that one we've been having for a long time in this country about faith. Really the debate that started at the Enlightenment and that has continued on to today. And part of it comes down to, do we have a literal interpretation of the Bible? You remember that part of the debate? Or do we read the Bible as metaphor and story that guides us? Well, if we're going to read it as metaphor and story that guides us. Okay, so we shouldn't take God's word literally. We just need to think of it as a bunch of Aesop's fables that tell us a moral, right? Why can't we use Aesop's fables then as as a word from God? 
they're, I mean, each of those stories has a clear moral message, right? So the stories that we read, you know, where Jesus was crucified on the cross, that was just a metaphor. He wasn't really crucified on the cross. He didn't really die and rise again. He, that was a metaphor for teaching you the importance of, of having hope and, and self-sacrifice. Yeah, he didn't really forgive you of your sins. You just need to follow his moral example, right? See, that's the problem, Chuck, is that when the Bible no longer is the authoritative word of God and it goes from being historical fact to being moral fiction, then you've, you've put people in complete bondage and you've just absolutely lost the word of God. It's no longer the word of God. It's just suggestions for moral living. <sighs> the inspired word of God. Or is it a literal take? And so a lot of people who, who have this literal understanding of Scripture say that those who don't agree with them are not real Christians. Um, here's the deal. God's Word doesn't reveal itself as metaphor. Jesus Christ himself, by the way, our view of Scripture should not be any less than Christ's view. Jesus Christ himself affirmed that Adam and Eve were literal people, affirmed that the flood happened, it talked about Abraham like he and Abraham were like really close, right? Jesus affirms that the Old Testament is the word of God. These are not just mere stories. And even regarding his own death and resurrection, he, you know, regarding that, he said it would be just like the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus believed that Jonah actually was, that, that story was literal and not just some fish story. Right? So our view of Scripture shouldn't be anything less than Jesus' view. And that's the problem, Chuck. Your view of Scripture is far less of a view than Jesus had. Jesus considered it to be the very Word of God and spoke about the stories that were contained in it as if it was historical fact. And it was absolutely true. Not metaphor. Not moral metaphor. But legitimate historic facts. It's undeniable. It's all throughout the scriptures. And the problem here is, is that, Chuck, you call yourself a Christian pastor, and yet your view of scripture doesn't even come close to Christ's. Not at all. I'll take Christ's view over yours, because Christ rose from the dead. And I get the feeling, Chuck, if that you were to die today from a fatal heart attack, you won't be raising from the dead anytime soon. And they use it to attack and divide, and that's unfortunate. No, 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 no. The people who are, are undermining the authority of God's word are the ones who are attacking and dividing. It's not the ones who are being faithful and true to God's word who are attacking and dividing. They are defending. Those who would have a lesser view than Christ are the ones who are attacking and dividing. It's the one who is in error who is attacking and dividing. Always keep that in mind, not the person who's defending and holding true to God's word. John Thomas, who's the general minister and president of the United Church of Christ, said this about David Miller's comments on CNN. By the way, CNN did not invite a representative of the UCC to respond to these remarks. But John Thomas says, I believe Mr. Miller... By the way, I, I, I offered to debate... Chuck Curry, you know, he, he turned me down. I offered to debate him 
on the subject of whether or not there's many paths that lead to God. He turned me down. Chuck, you know, I, I, let me re-extend the debate offer. I'd love to debate you. Let's go for it, dude. Get your Bible out. Let's pick a date. I'll fly you down to Southern California, or I can come up to where you guys are, and let's pick a college to ha- to hold the debate. We'll get a moderator, and we'll debate the subject of whether or not there's many paths that lead to God, if, whether or not that's a Christian position, if that's what the Bible actually teaches. You bring your verses, I'll bring mine, and we'll, we'll let's debate it. We'll, we'll record it, and we'll broadcast it for all the world to see and hear. That would uh, literally equal time. We'll even have somebody keeping time so that we each are given the exact same amount of minutes to speak. Perfectly level playing field, Chuck. The offer's still open. I would really like to debate you on this. Really think it would be worth it. Must not understand the biblical values that have been the foundation of the UCC's faithful commitment to justice that traces its roots to the abolitionist movement in this country. Okay, no one is going to sit there and say that your your commitment to justice is not commendable. That's great, but it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nor is it the central theme of Scripture. The central theme of Scripture is faith in the one who rescues us from our sins. That's Jesus Christ. I would welcome the opportunity for him to visit the UCC's church house in Cleveland and to discover firsthand what our church is all about and how we believe in a God who is still speaking. Mm, A God who's still speaking. You don't even accept the God who spoke because you deny his word. So he's still speaking? Uh, got a problem here. Notice that the emphasis is on the still speaking part, but the, the what he's already spoken, that's just metaphor, moral metaphor. Mr. Miller has not yet taken up that invitation. Uh, let me remind you, Chuck, uh, you have denied my invitation to debate me on a level playing field discussing the issue of whether or not there are multiple paths that lead to God and whether or not Christianity leaves it open for God speaking in other religions. You know, you're... you're condemning the one guy for not apparently taking up this offer, but you have denied my offer to debate you on this fairly. Come on, Chuck. Let's do it. It'd be fun. Four years ago, during the election, a mailer was sent out that said that Democrats, if they were elected, were going to ban the Bible. They weren't. But that's what the mailer said. I, I wonder where they got that idea from. It's not like Democrats have been undermining the biblical worldview and biblical values for how, for the last 40 years. Over the last couple of days, I have gotten a series of faxes by the way, this is supposed to be a sermon at this point. Not much sermonizing going on here. More like kind of defensive talk. On our fax machine here at the church and a series of mailings listing the eight reasons that Barack Obama is not a Christian. Yeah, I played one of those. And, uh, you know, if you know if Barack believes that there's many paths to God, then, mm-hmm, yeah, he's not. And why he is a Muslim. But he's not. He's a Christian. Regard, disregard the politics of it all. 
remember the larger of the debate about faith that is at stake. We may not take this Bible and read every single word in it as the literal truth. But we take this Bible very, very seriously. And that justifies it? Anything that I disagree with is not the literal truth, but I take it very seriously. Again, the problem here, Chuck, is that you do not have the same opinion of Scripture as Christ did. Yeah, it's not, it's not suggestions. It's not moral metaphor. It's not Aesop's fables. So you might take it seriously, but obviously not seriously enough. And don't let anybody ever say otherwise. Oops, I just did. For me, as a Christian minister... What is contained in this is the guidepost of my life. Huh? Moral metaphor. Aesop's fables. What I believe most deeply, what I cherish the most. I sat down on Saturday. I learned how to download the Bible onto my iPhone, and I was just very, very excited about this. And um, Frances um, asked me if it was Christmas yet. She was, um, you know, Halloween had just passed, and it was Christmas, and she said um, Christmas was about getting presents. You know, that's what four-year-olds think about. And so I try my best as pastor dad to explain that Christmas is more than just about about um, about presents, and I talked to her about the story of Jesus being born, and she says, what is that story, Daddy? And so I say, I've got it right here on my iPhone, sweetie. And I, and I pick it up, and I, and, I, and I get to the story, and I read her those words, and her eyes are so big. It's not the first time she's heard them, but it's the first time she remembers hearing them. You know how kids are at that age? And they're so important because Jesus is providing us with this radically different understanding of how the world ought to be then and now truly truly radically different from the conventional wisdom that we share that says that we all ought to get wealthy and we all ought to acquire power and we all ought to dominate other people. That's the conventional wisdom of the day. And Jesus said at the time, no, it's not. Compassion and love and justice are what is most important. So I guess the important part of Jesus' birth story for Christmas is that he was born in a barn and that shows that he wasn't about power and money. But did it really happen, Chuck? Was Christ really born in a manger? Was 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 Mary really a virgin? Was he really conceived by the Holy Spirit? Or should we just consider all those little details to be moral metaphor, too? Love to chat with you about it. Anyway, we're going to have to wrap this up. We're at the end of our second hour. Two days in a row, we've gone two hours. My wife has just got to be ridiculously giddy. <laughs> if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard today, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Till next time, God bless you.